Thanks for listening to the Talking Local Marketing podcast. You can find more on Spotify, iTunes and Google. If you'd like to find out more about how to activate your brand with local audiences, get in touch. Just Google We Are Acuity. Good morning, everyone. Uh, I'm really excited to welcome you all to the latest Talking Local podcast. Um, And today we're going to be discussing the secrets of successful local brand implementation and activation in the retail sector, including the value of uh, locally marketing for retail brands and how to deliver that value consistently and effectively across multiple decentralized local partners. And over the course of the next 30 minutes, um, we're hoping that we'll give you some ideas on how to fully immerse your local partners in your brand, leverage the value of local partners, make marketing easy for them, and engage those all important local audiences. And we'll give you some ideas to um, engage your local partners and get them working as an uh, overall extension of your marketing team. So let's start off today by introducing the panel and the key marketing trends that they're seeing in the retail sector. So I'll start introducing myself. If you haven't heard one of our podcasts before, uh, I'm the managing director and owner of We Are Acuity, and we've been supporting brands that um, operate across multiple decentralized locations for 25 years this year. Um, And over the last few years, we've seen a very rapid digitization um, that happened uh, during the pandemic. And as we return back to to the new world, we're seeing uh, a lot more sort of blending between physical and virtual retail, which we're massive fans of. Um, So uh, I'm going to introduce our panel. So um, Tim, uh, you are Tim Fairs. You are a, a retail expert. Would you like to Give ourselves a, a bit of an introduction well, and we'll get what you're seeing. Sir. Yeah, Tim Fares, I've worked in retail marketing for about 20 odd years, started off in advertising media and then subsequently have worked in all aspects of marketing and then the last 10 years more in the e-commerce space. So I've worked for Comet, Virgin, Dixon, Sainsbury's, uh, McColl's Retail Group more recently. Um, so I've done a number of different verticals, a number of different sectors. So no, it's good to be here. Fantastic. And and uh, you've been a great source of education for myself, um, giving me uh, updates on uh, SKUs and FMCGs and things like that. So we'll I'm sure we're going to dive into that a little bit more uh, later. And then Chris Lidlington. So um, thanks for in, um, joining us today. For, so you're from CACI. Yes. Uh, hi, Pete. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, Chris. Um, yeah, I look after our location analytics business at CACI. Um, and yeah, being a little wine, I work with sort of a sort of wide range of retailers over years from when it started off with simple question about how many stores to have, where should they be, through to today where most questions that clients ask us involve multiple channels. So how do we engage with communities at a local level using both digital and physical channels. So, uh, yeah, it's been interesting watching that evolve over the years. Okay, and and CACI, um, many people who are listening today will uh, have, have heard of them and have come across them. But um, for those that don't, is it worth just running over what you guys specialise in? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So, um, CACI, the best way to describe us as a data technology consultancy. So, we work with a range of different industry verticals, but within retail, very much focused on understanding your customers, who they are, how they engage with, and helping you reach them through both physical and digital channels. So understanding where they are, where should you have stores or physical assets, local media, what should you be talking about in your local media, what should you have in your stores, um, and then how do you engage those same consumers online? And then we bring that all together with your own technology. So it's not just a piece of work using data say what you should do you can action that effectively within your businesses as well fantastic and how, how do you think chris things have sort of changed over the last few years what are the sort of overall kind of trends that that you're seeing in 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 your day-to-day i think the the, the biggest one we've seen is a, a shift in having retail stores as being purely transactional um assets to a business so historically sort of think about a customer journey it'd be go to shop see it like it buy it maybe return it and i think as digital digital and social media and social settings become a great thing with covid accelerating that the customer journeys are a lot more complex and therefore the role that your local assets need to play 
is more complex as well. So it's about inspiration as well as fulfilling orders that might have been inspired online or in store. Um, so it's ultimately about understanding how do you turn up in a different location and how do you measure the success and the value that's delivering to the business. Um, we've seen the cosmetic space, retailers using stores as acquisition and customer acquisition channels. So you go in, you experience the brand, and then um, you might make sort of repeat purchases online or through a local chemist or pharmacy that stocks that product, um, which you perhaps wouldn't have seen in the past. And it's really helping brands understand that and then measure that as well as data isn't perfect. Um, there's no data saying that, hi, I, I went to the store, but I'm buying from Boots. Actually, that store needs to recognise. So it's helping readers understand that and measure that on an, on, on an ongoing basis. And we're seeing a, a big shift shift there. And I think linked to that is that's starting to roll out to other brands as well. Um, mm -hmm. So brands that are traditionally manufacturers, they're looking to develop more meaningful relationships with their customers. So that means direct sales channels. You can see sort of Nike be in the news a lot about what they're doing in terms of their, their store strategy. You can see it through the apps they're launching. They want to have as many customer touch points as possible. Um, and you've seen that across sort of similar brands who've traditionally been manufacturers, really good at building, product, really good at marketing it, marketing it, and now starting to become retailers so they can build that brand equity and that direct relationship with customers. Okay. So, I mean, the media tends to play off these, you know, physical and virtual channels against each other, but really what you're saying is they are very much complementary. And yeah, 100%. I think even if I look at look internally at what we've, we've been doing at CACI, when I first joined, there were sort of two different teams, one very much focused on the customer and the digital side of things, one very much focused on location and stores. And we're now working together you know, on pretty much every project now because one side needs the other and vice versa. Um, and we're, yeah, we're seeing that within retailers as they're evolving and realising that as well. Okay. Uh, Tim, from your experience on the retail side of things, what's your what's your take on this and how things have developed? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, a lot of people talk about the growth of e-commerce and uh, people buying online much more so than they did before. But you've got to take into account the proportions of it. Um, e-commerce now is still, what, 24, 25%. So a vast majority is still going on the high street or on the retail parks to have that physical engagement in a in a proper store environment. So, I mean, if you go back to COVID, e-commerce peaked around 35, 36%. Uh, but most customers these days start with online. So there's absolutely value in doing homework, research and finding out about products and recommendations and narrowing your selection down. Um, but a vast majority of customers still buy in store um, or or a collection of the two. You know, you sort of reserve online, pick up in store or reserve in store and get it delivered to home. But, you know, shops are still incredibly important to uh, customers. I mean, through knowledge, advice, interacting with real people, being able to physically obviously see the product, you might need to sit in it or have a demonstration of it. If you're buying sofas, beds, hi-fi audio, yeah, you can't really get a sense of that online. Um, but, you know, I think the best brands are starting to identify that customers have got a relationship with them as a brand, not as a channel. So mm. yeah, I still think there's a massive opportunity there in that brands will still work quite independently. So if you go into a store, they probably won't be able to tell you what you bought online. And if you go online, they probably won't be able to tell you what you bought in store. And I think increasingly customers want you to sort of leverage all of the data and know me as an individual and know my entire history. So therefore, AI and personalization and recommendation can be a lot more effective and a lot more personalized for me. I think okay. the other thing I'd say is that online is still very functional. I mean, if I go onto lots of websites for, you know, big or small retailers, you know, it's very much the same wireframe, homepage, top nav, menu, select product, go to basket, check out, you know, it's very vanilla whereas if i go in store it's a much more differentiated experience you know you've got the lighting the fixtures fitting staff service um, the whole brand experience is much more differentiated uh, in a physical environment than it is online so i still think there's plenty of opportunity there yeah and i guess as you as you touched on there the successful brands are perhaps breaking down those internal silos 
between the different teams and starting to realize that actually you know it's that single customer view it's you know overall the business seeing where the opportunity is to um to engage with the customer really but um that can take time can't it for structures internally at a brand to to deal with that i was talking to a, a director for a media agency quite recently and he was saying that most of his clients and we're talking about sort of FTSE 200 clients here are briefing him independently from what we call performance marketing versus brand marketing and never the twain shall meet so you know he'd have people around paid search and seo and crow and crm that have got to deliver a certain amount of roas which is delivered and briefed independently and then you'd have the traditional sort of fluffy brand marketers that tend to engage with traditional media but never the twain you know it just seems crazy that we've got these independent conversations happening and it's incumbent upon that media agency to try and make sense of the brief from a customer's perspective because it's still the same customer irrespective of whether I engage online or whether I read a, an ad in the press or TV or radio you know it's the same customer it's the same environment and we should we should treat it in that way and marketing directors should see the two as complementary not as independent channels if you like yeah absolutely that makes a, that makes a lot of sense so how can um how can retail brands successfully maintain that consistent experience um you know at a local level so you know all too often we see you know a lot of messaging at national level the big brand stuff um all of that sort of immersive thing but that doesn't always then translate to that sort of local experience so um how, how, you know how how important do you think that brand consistency is at at local level Tim let's go for you <laughs> well it's critically important if you think of the best brands that you could sort of think top of your head I always quote Pret-a-Manger because I, I just think it's a fantastic uh, brand you just get a very very consistent customer experience don't you they create a blueprint in terms of range proposition pricing how to interact with customers and they then apply that blueprint across all their different outlets um, and they've probably got ways of tracking and measuring it in stores so they can understand which stores are doing the best and which stores need some help um, and also they they get feedback from um, colleagues as well as part of you know what I call the service profit chain which is how do you deliver customer satisfaction through having really content, motivate, engage colleagues, and the two are very much intertwined with each other. So I think I think it's around creating a blueprint, uh, putting that into your stores, having a method by which you can track it, um, and then understand the help that some of the stores may need to deliver a better experience. But mm. consistency is incredibly difficult to do in retail uh, to get the same experience every day every store um is very very challenging but that's what the best best brands do absolutely yeah chris um you were talking when we were, were chatting last week really about um convenience the convenience sector and comparing marks and spencers and talking about the core offering and um it, it, tell us a bit more about some of that let's bring that up again yeah no uh, yeah i think i, I completely agree with him in terms of there's there's definitely a need for consistency. If you go into a store, you expect, you know, if I go into a Sainsbury's or an M&S, there's certain things I, I expect to be there. Um, but I also, yeah, that's probably going to be 80% of the offer. Right? Uh, but there is that 20% that can and should be flexed to the local community. I think the, the M&S example we're using was, uh, we work with a, another convenience operator who they looked at the market and went, all these people here there's there's a there's an opportunity here for, for food for tonight's offer and then you look at the individual store you go you're opposite an MS simply food um with the best will in the world i think that brand appreciated that as well when we we spoke to them about it they weren't going to win against MS for a food for a food food for tonight mission they weren't going to credibly serve that so it's okay who else is there in the community and what other missions and occasions can that store serve so right it's, it's impulse stress. It's a typical CTN location. Let's really let's win with that. And yes, it might be a slightly small part, slice of the overall pie, but that's a bit they can own, and they can they can they do that within their brand guidelines. They can have consistent experience at other stores, and, and that's going to mean that, that store's profitable and sustainable to to their business. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so, so really what you're saying there is, yeah, 80% the customer uh, promise, the expectation has to be consistent, but you also want to empower locally so that that mm-hmm. branch that has got a particular competitor on the other side of the road can, can flex the offering to give them the best opportunity. Yeah, exactly. I think um, empowering local teams to do that's really important. And I know, again, we spoke about this last week and you've make a blog on the, on the subject as well, but Waterstones, what they've been doing, where, you know, you go to the store, you go, it's a bookshop. There's not, in terms of product mix and product offering, there's not a huge amount of differentiation store by store, but they've got the local sort of bestsellers and recommendations, maybe the store manager, the reviews are written by the, the, um, the staff within the store as well. So they can tailor that to the local community and the community they know they serve, they're engaging with. Um, as well so i think that's a really nice way of ensuring that brand consistency because if i come on i'm on holiday and i go in there i can probably find what the final because i know it's going to be there but i'm also to get that local feel from the staff and the staff feel engaged as well because they're it's they're you're empowering them and letting them take ownership of mm. that within mm. guidelines i think you... it helps to reinforce brand authority and expertise of the staff and the colleagues and the <laughs> They're really into the category and they've got opinions and views on it. I think I think it's it's a really helpful way of helping the customer, but also reinforcing the brand's passion for the category as well. So yeah. I think Chris, Chris's earlier point about this 80 percent, I mean, I totally agree with you've got a I often talk about picking a lane. Um, you know, the best brands will pick a lane in terms of what they stand for and what they want to be famous for. And they just, and they're very disciplined and they're very focused on it. Um, the brands that tend to struggle is kind of you don't know what you're going to get um and i think chris's point on the 20 percent is right you know i think it should be 20 percent in terms of variation and personalization configured for the demands of the local market i, I don't think it should be 50 or 60 percent because therefore you kind of think well this is an entirely different experience from where i was a couple of days ago you know and you just get confused about what the brand actually stands for mm. and and i noticed chris brought in the word uh, community um, uh, uh, you know, in discussing Waterstones and obviously, you know, it, I, uh, the, the ability to build a community will vary depending, I guess, on what the brand is selling. But obviously books are at the end at the end of the spectrum where it is very important to build that community because we know that you could go and buy a book online uh, and probably get the the sort of the cheapest price. But it is very transactional. And it doesn't get across any of that sort of passion and feeling of being part of something, part of that Waterstone brands. And we know that if you can, I mean, we were writing about it the other day, create that sort of love brand that the customer will potentially pay more and will also have more repeat purchases as well. Yeah, yeah. I mentioned sort of sportswear. Um, I can see that that's what most of, sort of the major sort of global sportswear brands are trying to do you see the shops are opening up are offering yes they're selling product but they're also doing sort of local um sort of free sort of run clubs yoga classes and the attic store um on regent streets you can use sort of the yoga studio within there as well so that they're, they're putting these into engage with the local community and they're doing it digitally as well because they've got yes they've got stores they're doing sort of running apps um uh, you know mindfulness meditation podcasts things like that to get people to buy into the brand because ultimately what they're doing is whether it's trainers jeans um coats whatever it is it's, i'm going out to buy a pair of levi's i'm not going out to buy a pair of jeans or i want some nike or adidas trainers i i don't just want a pair of trainers so it's, it's using that brand piece to refine what the consumers look at and then at that once you've done that channel kind of becomes irrelevant in terms of purchase channel if you purchase it online via a wholesale of direct or you might decide different margins but it doesn't really doesn't really matter as long as you've got the customer to go out wanting your brand mm. there's it's something quite magical about the social aspects as well the fact that you're in a store in a brand in a category that lots of other customers in the store love in the same way you do and there's something quite uh, positive about that um, that you just don't get when you're buying online you know we're quite sociable animals mm. aren't we at heart and uh, I think mixing with other customers on the shop floor that've got the same 
passion and the same interest almost reinforces your purchasing decision it, it's 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 like it's that idea of being part of a tribe isn't it yeah, really? it goes yeah. back to that kind of perspective a brand that's sort of probably slightly left field but has done that incredibly well and it's sort of almost ahead of the curve there it's gone unnoticed something like games workshop that do sort of mm-hmm. the, the wall they've been doing that for years they've had the big sort of tables within the middle of the stores they can go off they're generally in fairly off-pitch locations that people are seeking them out because they offer that experience that community engagement that tribe within the store and it becomes sort of a hub for their fans and advocates it's a destination isn't it really 100%. at the end of the day um so uh, well i mean one of the things though that you know there will be certain retailers out there where this could fill them with dread because naturally distributed brands it's very easy to become a bit of a them and us you know there's a bit of a distance between the local partners the network and and head office and the idea of empowering them to go off and have autonomy or control can sound frightening but the reality is is that it can be managed very very successfully and there are degrees of um empowerment uh, you know they they you know with some brands you could give the local partners full flexibility but with others you might you know limit that a bit more i mean what what's your feeling tim on 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 that is it something to be scared of no i think in head office you can get a very isolated view can't you can look at a spreadsheet and look at a load of data at a store level and think that you know that store intimately well but actually nothing beats visiting that location and that individual store and understanding its proximity to its competitors and getting a feel for the local demographic and what the store team like as well in terms of management and you know are they engaged what the opportunities by looking at competitors in terms of range and proposition yeah you can't get i mean i know the guys at caci you can get an awful lot of data on on that from chris but um, I think you know, getting out there and engaging with the area manager, the regional manager, and getting a really good intimate understanding of the landscape is incredibly powerful. And of course, you then spot other things like potentially third-party partnerships, tie-ups, local media that's available that you just wouldn't see necessarily from um, a head office desk. Uh, so, um, yeah, no, I think it's really important. I completely agree. I've- I work for a data company. I'm a massive advocate of using data, but when you're looking at things at a local level, it's only ever going to get you 90% of the way there. And what data can do is identify and zoom in on the ones that need further investigation. You know, we always, when we're doing projects, we always get the outliers and then we'll send the team out to visit them to try and understand is it that we're missing in the models of data points or actually there's, you know, they, they're just out for they're amazing because the stores with pages the way that local teams runs incredible it's different than this we can take those loans and apply it elsewhere or there's factors outside of their control where you might look at going to stores this big so there's this many car parking spaces and this many competitors when you go there you look at okay the car parking spaces are really small you've got um access and egress to the site that's really compromised so that's why it's important you shouldn't you need to work with the local team to reset what sort of expectations the target should be based on that mm. um, and, and those things that data can't necessarily tell you need to get out and visit the, these locations plus, plus i guess the other one as well which um you know is often not on a spreadsheet is that the emotional value and connection with going out is that suddenly they feel like you're interested and i think brands mm. sometimes don't realize the 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 magnitude of a head office visit and and the value that that can bring to those people and and it is a bit of a double edged sword because it can fill them with terror but also when you get out there and they find that you're not there to beat them with a stick you then build that engagement and yeah, there's there's and nothing look, more powerful than that is and, there really and a lot of the best ideas have come from an individual colleague in a individual store who uh, knows their customers incredibly well and knows the operation and the efficiencies of how the business works and they've come up with a fantastic idea which can then be uh, rolled out to the rest of the the rest of the footprint rest of the stores and of course that's incredibly motivating for them the fact that they've come up with an observation or an idea that's then subsequently been adopted across the wider business uh, the business benefits the colleague feels great and, and also there's a halo effect uh, impact in terms of how the region and the area feels you know it's a really good example of a, a brand that's actually listened uh, we say 
um, what's the expression uh, you said we did is is often what brands talk about you know they they allow opportunities for colleagues to feedback take yes. into account listen and then act upon it you know it's very powerful that peer-to-peer learning is 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 vital isn't it because again going back to some of those things that perhaps can def- divide a distributed brand is that the the head office feels you know the network is like the wild west they're you know all they want to do is do the opposite of what we want them to do and all of that kind of thing and then the network can think head office is in an ivory tower they've never been at the coal face they've never sold the product and all of those kind of things so yeah. by bringing everybody together you're breaking down those barriers and you're also uh, allowing as you say that peer-to-peer learning so you know the one store will perhaps listen much more actively to what another store is doing than than some bulletin that's fired across on a Thursday afternoon from head office really. Even better than that Peter is actually getting your team to work in a store I mean I've worked for a business before now where I've asked the directors to run a store for a week and (laughs) you know uh, absolute fear and dread you know about locking up and opening up and cashing the, the till and uh, engaging with customers but you come away with a hundred things that you want to do differently uh the next day um because you're at the cold face and you understand how the brand is interacting with customers and things that can make the business cheaper to run and more efficient yeah. and 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 again i guess another uh another benefit of 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 that engagement is you know it's it's a carrot and it encourages them to to to, to move in the direction that you want because we've you know, over the years, we've seen brands that, you know, have the brand police or have a big stick and it very rarely works, really. You just disengage, you you bring in a negative sort of vibe and feeling. What What's your feeling on that, Chris? Yeah, I think you're completely right. I think the way when it works really well, it's the data that you're using to make these recognition measure forms is democratised and shared with the local teams. So they can understand it in a clear way and they can question challenge it and it needs to be this is what the data is telling us can you please help us explain it better what are we missing and then you know there might be things that ways that something's run within that that local area that local store that is impacting their performance it might be they go well your data's right but actually you'll miss it this you haven't considered this which is specific to our area and it's it's those kind of things that it means it's a constructive conversation and it's a conversation might be it might be a debate there's always going to be challenges um it's good but it's a debate rather than a you know head office dictating down we've got csi or some third party and it's got some data they've never met you but they think this you need to you need to take take the local team sets up on that journey with you yeah. to to properly adopt any sort of localized data-driven um, and, 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 and our colleagues and our staff invariably know their existing customers but of course what mm. CACI can help you with is defining and understanding the customers that aren't currently shopping with you and why is that and what's the size of the prize what's the headroom if you like so you know managers tend to be very um, centric about their existing customers and what's going well and what isn't but of course they haven't got any visibility as to the customers walking past and choosing to shop elsewhere and that and that's common across all sectors really i mean we you know one of the things we commonly see is that the local partners are focusing on customers that are in market at that one moment in time and you know when they when they're saying we need to do some marketing it's because they feel they need to do some immediate sales whereas we all know that that customer journey goes from you know awareness to reputation to purchase and then post sale and what happens is you know, it often is, feels easier to to hammer the existing customers than to bring in those new conquest customers, um, which I think then goes on to, to, to the other feeling is that local partners don't do the wrong thing because it's hard. They do the wrong thing because it's easy. And so if you make the right thing easier for them, they'll do it. Yeah. Um, yeah so a lot of this stuff is around kind of support so that takes us on to the next sort of key kind of question is 
where, where do you think that 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 line is between brand and the the local partner marketing? Where you know what job does head office do, and why? Where is the opportunity with those local stores? Chris, should we go to you? Yeah. So I think in terms of job head office, the head office need to they're always going to run sort of the national campaign. So they need to define what the brand stands for what their what are their wind themes and where they sit in the market and they need to advocate that and get that message out to the you know if we're talking UK the country as a whole we're talking other countries that be doing that as well I think at a local level they need to then provide the tools and the assets to support for the local teams to use so we don't we want to make it easy but we also don't and we also want to make sure that people stay within guidelines so if you can set up sort of process, share the data, share what the decision making should be and share the marketing assets with the, the local teams them to choose, they can then start to make decisions. They've got clear guidelines and they're empowered to do what's right. And if they don't agree, they can talk, they can challenge you. You can have, start to have that open dialogue, but that ensures that you've got empowerment, you've got local personalization, um, but you're staying within brand guidelines and someone is not, you know, you don't find Waterstones going from selling books again actually people don't want magazines and laptops here so we're going to sell that it's you know it, I know it's extreme but it keeps it within where it, where it should be yes absolutely Tim what's your take yeah I, th- I think your your brand is is consistent isn't it I think your brand is your brand irrespective of location so look and feel reason for being your core purpose your DNA your tone of voice your personality you know that should remain pretty universal um, I would have thought and the customer experience as we were saying earlier again tied into your core purpose and reason for being as a brand should be pretty consistent Um, but the things that can be modified is around range around pricing um, depending on location um, and also to some extent media and the ability to engage with customers on a one-to-one basis so I've worked for brands before where you have kind of best practice from a social media perspective that's kind of written by uh, the social media expert, you know, the subject matter expert. Um, but you you could have the possibility of having individual stores that are proficient at social media to adopt that best practice and to have that relationship with their customers on a one to one basis, which is very powerful because there'll be individual things going on at the store, refurb or a new delivery or a new range or a new promotion or even a new member of staff that you want to kind of tell your local customers about. Uh, and mm. of course, you can't do that centrally. No, uh, you can only do that on a on a much more localized basis. So that's that re- increased relevancy, isn't it? And I mm. guess it's building that connection, that sort of tribal thing. It's that they're like us, they they know us, they're familiar and that kind of thing. I think M&S did some pretty amazing work around uh, empowering their local mm. stores to run social media. Chris, you're nodding that. Is that something stood out that, to you? Yeah, M&S is an example I was going to call out as well. I think they've done, they've done a great job. So it gives each store a personality and feels like you know, you're, you know the staff that you're, 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 you're engaging with when you're in the store. So it also gives the ability to do those campaigns that link to something that's happening in the local community, whether it be, I don't know, local fair or um, sort of market competition, something that's happening in the local community, they can start to talk to that, which you could never do at a national level. Um, but, you know, at a store level, that's 100% that the brand should be tapping into. And if they're not, you're going to start missing out. It's a, it's a really it's a really good way of achieving intimacy uh, for really big brands like M&S, who are probably not known for understanding and knowing their customers on a one to one basis. And indeed, if I went to my local M&S, the enormous one up the road, they probably wouldn't know and understand whether I'm there or not. You know, I'm just another transaction. I'm another customer. You know, it's not something I have an intimate relationship with. But of course, the beauty about social media is that you can do that. Um, and you can have a much more personalised dialogue and conversation, which almost compensates for this challenge to do it actually within a in-store environment. Um, Chris's point about convenience stores, I mean, they are known brilliantly for that, you know, knowing their customers intimately, knowing their family members, uh, knowing what, they, what they're what they in for, because they tend to buy the same sorts of things all the time. And there's a much more intimate 
relationship than would exist with the bigger corporate. So, um, yeah, so I think social can create intimacy. Yeah, fantastic. So how do you then, how do you encourage that more effective local marketing? If you're a, if you're a brand that is perhaps listening to this now and thinking, this sounds scary, it's very different, it's something that we're not used to. Um, any thoughts on sort of steps? I mean, you know, from our from our perspective, you know, with 25 years, you know, involved in this area, it, it is all about making it easier and um, supporting that network, centralising eff- efforts, um, building a strong relationship with them. And there's all sorts of um, systems and, and, and processes and tools that will make this, you know, a very straightforward sort of process. Um, Tim, in your experience, is you know how should a brand feel about taking these steps? Well, I think it's important to prepare, and it's important to uh, you talked about tools, uh, Peter. I think giving uh, your teams the tools to be able to do the job. Now, in the case of social media, that will be a, a framework, as an example, um, and there'll be training and development possibly required as well. And for those things where there's a bit of hesitancy around commercial risk and whether the effort is going to give a return, uh, you could drop it into a few stores, maybe stores that have put their hand up to say, this sounds really exciting, I'm really up for this. Um, And you test and trial and you get some really good feedback before you then start rolling out more broadly across the business. So, um, but the the risk is, of course, is that you jump too quickly. It's really important that, you know, your brand is in a good place and your people are in a really good place and they're confident before you start engaging with customers about it. That makes a lot of sense. Chris, have you, you know, how have you seen these sort of things happening? Yeah, so probably unsurprisingly, given the role I've got, I'd, I'd start with the data. So um, my start would always be to understand, OK, what does my audience community look like around each store in terms of probably three different factors? One, who's there? So what what they look like, what the demographics and what missions and occasions that location serving? What's my competition look like, and how, what, what's my what's my location within that community? So am I on pitch, off pitch? How am I going to capture that? And I'd use that to define. First is going to be people internally. I'd imagine might be saying, "Well, everybody's our customer," and there are brands out there where that's broadly broadly true, broadly correct. However, I would challenge any brand to say, hand on heart, that's the, that's that's the case location by location so it's understanding what that differentiation looks like clustering the stores based on those similarities and then tim's point who's sticking their hand up and trialing concepts within each of those segments to go where's it work what does it does this work what's the what's the what's the return investment of making these changes empowering that local market driving that personalization and then you know what the scalability of that initiative is as well because you've got that segment you could apply it to um as well as you know where it's appropriate to roll out that makes a lot of sense yeah no that sounds uh sounds like a real sensible sort of approach because as you say it can seem a little bit overwhelming is you know where do you start on something like this and you know we've we've had conversations over the years where um you know it, it really does feel like such a jump and and marketing departments are often under an awful lot of pressure from sales teams and and things like that and they don't want to you know, they don't want to make a mistake. They don't want to, you know, there's a lot of risk uh, uh, averse concerns around uh, how you approach it. So doing a trial, but a data led trial. And talking about the convenience sector, we mentioned a bit earlier on and risk and trials and all the rest of it. Um, a case study I can give you is when I was working for a company and there was a partnership with Deliveroo and Uber Eats. And of course, the store managers are sitting there thinking they're just going to take all my commission. It's existing sales. They're just cannibalizing all my existing customers. You know, I can do this myself. Um, and then we trialed it in about 20, 25 stores with uh, Deliveroo. And that demonstrated that it was serving a completely different customer, a completely different mission. And sure enough, their sales really shot off and they were up by about 20% on the prior year when their previous run rate was about flat. So they absolutely recognised that this was serving a different type of mission and a different type of customer. But it needed an awful lot of test and learn and operationally, you know, how do you deal with that transaction without affecting your core customers? Uh, how can you make sure that you're not giving away too much margin and 
and all the rest of it. So, um, but you know, that was half a dozen stores initially that were really, really up for it. They were quite techy. They were really um, embracing home delivery in the last mile. And sure enough, it then rolled out to the rest of the estate. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. And I guess, I guess with any um, sort of networks, you're going to get you know, those that are really smashing it and doing amazingly well, you're going to get those that just are disengaged, but you've got those in the middle that have an appetite, but aren't really sure how to go about, you know, doing things. And that's where that's, you know, head office support can come in and make a real difference. You can get, you know, some really big gains there. Um, I, I guess, again, one of the things that sort of um, struck me was, um, it, you know, in most sectors, you'll often have, uh, on a high street, you'll have an independent that is absolutely smashing it. And ha- hardware stores, I think, are a, a really good example of, you know, survivors on that sort of high street. And when you go in there, you know, they've got fantastic stock. They know their customers. They want to engage with you and they want to support you. Um, and how do you bring that sort of independent um, sort of spirit of a, of a independent retailer to a bigger chain? So, um, a similar sort of thing on our podcast we did on estate agency was most high streets will have a, an independent estate agent that does a fantastic job. And they're really hard for the chains of estate agents to come in and kind of compete with that sort of stuff um, in the sort of uh, amongst chemists on my own high street here. We've got a massive national chain and we've got an independent. The independent is buzzing just on at the weekend i went into the chain and it's empty it feels dead every single um shelf has got discounting on it I, you know I, to to me if you're on the high street and you're relying on discounting you're 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 on a hiding to nothing because if you want discounting and transactional you'll go online won't you well that's the power of people peter isn't it i think you've you've just created a really good example there a really good case study and that's the key differentiator versus e-commerce and the uh, the online channel uh the independent example that you referred to there i would imagine have staff that are really switched on really passionate about what they do their job they might have worked there for a bit longer um and they've just got a really good intimate relationship with their with their customers whereas i would imagine the corporate brand um perhaps the staff think you know i could work here i could work anywhere within retail yeah i don't feel necessarily an affiliation towards this category or this business um and therefore it's more transitional and they have a higher churn rate and therefore that has an impact in terms of the the customer relationship so um you often find that yeah i think it's interesting that you pulled upon their sort of trade retail sectors example i think that's that's one of the sector meetups that is exceedingly well. Um, I, I, I'd even say the big chains do it as well. Do it well as well. We do personally quite a lot of work within when that's it sort of like builders merchants, and they're really interesting. Look, you get a lot of outliers when you start to model their data, and more often than not, it's a location's open because they've got an exceptional store manager. You interview customers when they when the store asks why they're getting it. It's like well, it's because of it's because of Barry. I've known him for years. He's been, he's been great, and yeah, those those businesses because they probably don't spend a huge amount on big sort of national media companies. They rely rely on investing and empower um, the branch managers and the branch staff to to build those relationships, and it's it's paying massive dividends for them. Yes, I think I've isn't there's um I don't know whether it's carpet right perhaps have got TV ads at the moment that talk about mm. this is Dave he knows everything about laminate flooring you know this is Bob um this is Jane she knows about this that and the other and you know how do you bring and I guess Curry's haven't they Tim I they had an advert um campaign not long ago that was all about the staff and their expertise with you know helping demystify technology and 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 support yeah, well, customers. That- that was the Achilles Hill for the brand at the time. And the, the the range and the store experience is pretty good. You know, the stores have been modernised and refurbished. But critically important is the knowledge and advice by the colleagues on the shop floor. And at the time, I think a lot of customers were thinking, actually, I know more than you do about this TV or this washing machine or this tumble dryer or whatever. So um, that then initiated a very, very large training and development program where every colleague had to know something about every product 
um, and they had to do some research and they had to complete various tasks and quizzes and all the rest of it um, and that improved the knowledge and expertise dramatically and you know back to what we were saying earlier about omni-channel and e-commerce you know that that is one of the key reasons why you go to a, a physical store because yes it's nice to see the picture quality of a 40 inch OLED TV but it's even better to get independent advice and recommendations from colleagues yeah. so um, so yeah I mean I think you know, it's, it's critically important um, as part of the overall uh, experience. Fantastic, excellent. I also think with that, the, the colleague engagement that we touched on it last week as well, key. If, I get, if I go in there, say it's fashion, I find a jacket that I like, but they don't have the color in my size, that's where the store staff step in and go, okay, this one's same cut, that fits, I can order it in color X for you. So that, that's a potential lost sale, but that's where your your store associates, store staff can can really elevate the experience and make sure you're getting the advice and the products that you want and need. Yes, absolutely. And that, funnily enough, again, that touches on uh, in the automotive sector. There's a big move to this agency model where the the local um, retailer isn't involved in the sale. And one of the challenges, though, is that that with that approach, is that head office doesn't know how to sell a car. It's just not what they they do. So when you have a customer that has put down a deposit um, and may have been waiting for a car a little while and might be looking on forums and reading stuff, talking to peers, if they decide to cancel their deposit, they just go on to the website and they click cancel. It's a bit like an abandoned shopping cart. There, there's nobody there to 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 handle that in the way that if you went to the salesperson and said oh you know have you got my size or have you got my color or whatever with a jacket there, there's somebody there to talk to that can that can not hard sell but can manage that situation in a way that a computer and technology can't really do because you click the button and it cancels the order you know it's it's, it's black and white reminds me of a magic moment from um uh, a garage that one of my mates was talking to me about. I think he had a Lexus. He went into the garage to drop it off for a service. Um, he heard a track on the tannoy that he really liked. I think it was the Arctic Monkeys or something. And uh, he said, oh, I really like that track. You know, so he dropped off his car, uh, came back later on in the afternoon to pick it up. And they'd only downloaded the whole album of the Arctic Monkeys. And when he turned Fantastic. the ignition, you know, it came through the speakers. It sounded amazing. And, you know, you can't do that on a website, can you? I mean, no. you, can, you do that in a physical environment. And, of course, it didn't cost them uh, hardly anything. But, you know, he's told loads of people about that. And therefore, people feel amazing about the Lexus brand. You know, it's yes. just uh, a magic moment, if you like. Absolutely. And, I mean, I think one of the things that we've noticed from doing these podcasts, we've done food and beverage now, we've done charity, we've done estate agency, we've done franchises, that these... Um, these challenges and these opportunities are common across all of them. And it's it's very easy for us to become sort of siloed within our own sector when actually the, the, the challenges are very much sort of consistent. The way in which we express them might be different because we all have our own jargon like skews and, and all of these other different things. But ultimately, when you take the smoke, you know, the complexity away, we're all dealing with exactly the same problems. And that's what's so exciting about doing this podcast is un uncovering what those sort of challenges are, really. So so we, we're probably coming to the end of our time. I mean, I always like to try and do a bit of a, a summary. And, and obviously, there's so much passion around this subject with you guys. Uh, it's been absolutely fascinating. Um, I think my three takeaways were probably this idea of um, brand consistency, 80% um, spending on that sort of consistency, but 20% opportunity to improve relevancy and, and have those sort of local initiatives to really give you the, the extra opportunities. Um, the other one was all about sort of um, engaging and learning from your local partners and colleagues and, in, you know, encouraging those staff to play a part and to feel part of the brand. And then lastly, which you'll be delighted to hear was, uh, Chris, was around data really, is that those data insights can really help you understand where the big opportunities are. And you don't have to go in and do everything. You can, they say fish where the big fish are, look where those opportunities are, trial something on that and then scale it out off, off, off of those learnings. So, 
Um, is there anything you guys would like to to add, Chris, that uh, that you've taken away today? No, I, I think, yeah, I, I think the big big thing for me is just understanding what you stand for, and what the purpose of your location is. So, I think sort of if you're if you're trading in physical space, you need to fulfil one or more of these three missions. It's convenience, price. I can't get it cheaper online. I can't, can't get it cheaper elsewhere or experience. Um, so that's the 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 uh, trade retail example we touched on. If you're not fulfilling one of those three things, you're not doing local retail, physical retail rights. Um, and those three things aren't necessarily going to be consistent store by store. You need to work out what, what you stand for. That's fantastic. And and Tim, how about you? Well, I think building on the CACI point in the um, couple of times, couple of brands I've worked for, just fantastic data coming out of those guys in terms of profiling each and every store in terms of what is the catchment, uh, what is the customer profile, what segments are prevalent within that area, where, where are you punching above, where are you punching below, uh, what missions are going to be particularly relevant or products or ranges. There's a, an incredible amount of data coming out of CACI that you can use to help inform your, your business. And back to your earlier point, help to modify and deal with that 20% that you can make quite bespoke. So. Um, but as we also said, nothing also beats getting out um, and seeing the store in the flesh and actually talking to colleagues on the shop floor to get their uh, perspective as well. It's a blend of the two, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. So convenience, price and experience, Chris, I think it was. And, and which of those are the most important ones? You need to be ticking one of those boxes. So Fantastic. All right, guys. Well, thanks so much for your time. I've really enjoyed it today. I hope it's been good for you and I hope it's been good for the listeners out there. And um, we've given you a few ideas. Um, obviously, any of us uh, are available if you wanted to, if anyone wanted to chat, make a conversation with CACI or Tim or, or myself about anything we covered today. We'd love to, to dive in a bit deeper. Thanks for listening to the Talking Local Marketing Podcast. You can find more on Spotify, iTunes and Google. If you'd like to find out more about how to activate your brand with local audiences, get in touch. Just Google, we are Acuity.